Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Welcome to The Way Radio Live. Today is Sunday, June 13th, 2021. Sorry, I was a couple minutes late getting started, but now we're ready to go. Uh, the title of today's sermon is The Invisible Realm, and it's a f- continuation of the Coming Storm series of messages. Last week was You Must Stay Awake, and uh, we're delving deeper week by week into some very interesting uh, topics that you just don't hear a lot about in the modern church. Um, I'm really enjoying preparing these sermons, uh, topics that I've studied off and on for years, and I'm very involved in studying right now, and I'm excited to uh, get into these more and more and to learn more and more about this and to help uh, share it with you guys. So the title of the sermon is The Invisible Realm. Let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather here together online today to learn of you, to learn of your word. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would just bless this message, that you would uh, touch the hearts of each person that hears it, that you would edify and strengthen believers, and that those that uh, do not know you, Lord, that through it, uh, that you would touch their hearts and help them uh, to see the truth of the gospel that is only in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Invisible Realm. First verse I want to look at today in this message is, if my mouse would work here correctly, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. To look to to the things that are unseen is going to help us clarify and make sense of the things that are seen. And as we move into this topic deeper and deeper, um, we really realize that a decision must be made by every individual, and especially uh, in a very special context by believers. And that decision is, will you live materialistically or spiritually? Will you live materialistically, which means of this world, or will you live spiritually? And remember that Christ told the woman at the well that uh, we will we will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So as Christian believers, we need to strive to exist really much more in the spiritual than in the worldly materialistic realm. And that's what we're striving to really learn as we delve deeper into this series of sermons. But what I want to do is I want to open up with a series of scriptures with the question leading to those being, why are the highly strange unseen spiritual events and strange creatures recorded throughout the scriptures or strange creatures recorded throughout the scriptures mostly ignored? And I'm going to repeat that question. Why are the highly strange, unseen spiritual events and strange creatures recorded throughout the scriptures mostly ignored? Why do we not hear more from the church about the unseen, invisible spiritual realm? And why do we not try to learn more about these strange beings or creatures that we read about all through scripture? And quite often these things are given just a a cursory mention or try to be written off as something uh, that is really not spiritual. But I think it's very important, especially in the times in which we live, that we start trying to learn more about what these things are and paying more attention to these spiritual events that take place all through the scriptures, why they took place, what they signify, and most importantly, how they help us in our walk with the Lord, how they help us to have a proper spiritual view and to live through a proper spiritual context when we are in walking with Jesus Christ. So let's look at these verses one by one. I think there's six or seven that I decided to to share with you guys today. So let's look at the first one. Second, uh, uh, it's Genesis 6, 
4, which says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Nephilim basically are the hybrid offspring between a physical union between a fallen angel and a human woman. So they're this hybrid, be hybrid being, and that's where we see the angels spring from, or not the angels, the giants spring from. So the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Quite often the Nephilim are just written off as being, well, that was the, the, the sons of Seth. That's really not a biblical explanation, and I'll go into that in more depth in future sermons. But I just want you to, we're starting to try to get the flavor uh, or the perspective of the spirituality, the spirit, the invisible spiritual realm that is conveyed in scripture and trying to learn more about it. Let's look at Exodus 12, 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And if we're familiar with the Exodus story and we're familiar with the telling of the first Passover, what we learn is that the angel, which was the destroyer, killed the firstborn in Egypt. So again, we see a breaking in of the spiritual realm into the materialist, into the material physical world. Let's look at Exodus 17:11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So what we see here is the man of God Moses through the raising of his hand or lowering his hand, we see the battle turn either in the favor of the Israelites or against the Israelites. We see the spiritual realm being affecting the physical realm directly. Let's look at Deuteronomy 3.11. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant, remnant of the Rephaim, very similar to the Nephilim. You, can, you could uh, define the, the Rephaim as being giants. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length and four cubits its breadth, according to the common cubit. Now, a cubit is commonly understood to be about 18 inches long. So if his bed was nine cubits long times 18 inches, that tells us that his bed was about 13 and a half feet long. So this man was quite obviously of giant stature. Let's look at 2 Samuel 21.20. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also descended from the giants. Now, this is where things get really interesting and something I really want to delve into more, uh, really in just the coming weeks very soon, is uh, DNA and the seed. We're told in Genesis, God says, I will put enmity between your seed, meaning the seed of Satan, and the seed of the woman. Seed of Satan, obviously, being the Antichrist. Seed of the woman being the Messiah, Christ. But I think that extends to uh, the seed of the woman, the Messiah's line, being the children of God, those who have faith in the Messiah, those who trust the Messiah, who have been brought by grace into God's family to be called children of God, and those that are outside covenant relationship with God outside the family of God because they're outside of Christ as being the seed of Satan. And I do believe that since the beginning of time, Satan has been trying to corrupt in any way he can the seed of the woman. And I think what we see here where it says this person had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, there was a DNA corruption that we see evidenced through this here. And that's something very interesting for us to delve into further, especially in these times in which we live, when there are great efforts being made by the uh, research medical community to try to manipulate DNA structure. 
And we see this with the uh, the COVID vaccines. They're called messenger RNA vaccines. They don't actually qualify as vaccines. They're not, if you look at the definition of a vaccine, they don't qualify as that. They're actually genetic, uh, oh, I forget the term. They're altering the genetic DNA of a, per genetic therapy, gene therapy is what it's called. So we'll get into that more as we go forward. But that gives us a little hint of this DNA corruption that was taking place and that through these this giant Nephilim Raphaim offspring of the uh, joining together of these fallen angels and the human women. Let's look at Daniel 5, 5 through 6. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as he wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. This is a fascinating scripture because it's so visual. And what we see is the spiritual realm literally breaking through into our reality in the form of a hand that writes on a wall. Absolutely a mind-blowing thing to consider. Let's look at 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So physically, what he said seems impossible. How could we have more on our side than they, ha they have on their side when these two men are facing an army. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what he was praying is that his assistant could see the spiritual realm that he was aware of, and I guess he could see, and then the, his assistant was able to realize that regardless of what they were seeing physically on this plane, there was a spiritual army that was on their side that was going to give them victory. And again, a glimpse into this invisible realm that we are so obviously unaware of in our day-to-day -day lives. Let's look at Luke. We'll move to the New Testament. Let's look at Luke 135. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Every Christian is very familiar with this. We worship and have faith in and trust in a Savior, a Messiah, who was born from a virgin. She was impregnated through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the spiritual realm breaking through to the physical realm. Let's look at Matthew 17, 2 through 3. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Another instance in our Lord's ministry where the spiritual is revealed to the physical. In Christ's transfiguration, he, those who witnessed it were blessed to see him in a glorified form and to see him from more of a spiritual, true context of who he is. <coughs> and then they were, they were blessed to see Moses and Elijah talking with him, men who they'd considered to have been dead for, for years. An amazing and fascinating event. Let's look at Matthew 27, 50 through 54. And Jesus cried out again. But this is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So we see here, when Christ yielded up his spirit, the curtain of the temple supernaturally being torn in two 
from top to bottom, and this was not no or it, this was not any ordinary curtain. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So the dead actually raised. This event was so intense. And the spiritual realm was having an effect on the physical realm to such an amazing and powerful way that these events took place. The dead actually were raised and, and, and you saw them walking around Jerusalem. Probably the most amazing day in history. Fascinating. Let's look at Luke 24, 50 through 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So we see the Lord in his ascension going back to that, that, that spiritual, invisible realm. And the last verse is Acts 16, 25 through 26. Now, this is after the Lord has come. He's blessed us with his ministry. He's died for our sins on the cross. He rose after three days. He ascended. And now we read in Acts 16, 25 through 26, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas are in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. A supernatural power set them free from their prison. A supernatural act set them free from their prison. So this leads to the next question. Could it be that deception has caused the church to not speak more of the highly strange, supernatural, and spiritual happenings that are recorded all through the scriptures? The deception to focus on the material rather than the spiritual. Because we do not delve into these things very much in the modern church. And I think this has been a huge mistake for a very long time. And it's one of the reasons that we are in the predicament that we are in, especially in the American church. You know, people quite often ask me, I, I have friends that are um, pastors or missionaries all over the world. And in many third world countries, these people will share with me these stories of demonic oppression and uh, demonic uh, activity that's going on. And, when, and I'm talking about, see, from an American context, we have a lot of what you might call demonic activity that's not, that, that's fake, uh, where it's basically someone is trapped in sin. And instead of taking responsibility for their sin and repenting of it, it's easier to blame that on demons or the devil made me do it or whatever. And we have all these deliverance ministries, which are actually doing horrendous damage because they're opening up people through for demonic activity, but the original cause was not demonic. What I'm talking about is genuine, real demonic possession and oppression and attack that happens more in third world countries than in Western countries like America. And I believe that's so because we are so apathetic to the spiritual realm here. We've pretty much cast it aside in much of our society, and that has bled over into much of the modern church. So let's repeat this question. Could it be that deception has caused the church to not speak more of the highly strange supernatural and spiritual happenings that are recorded all through the scriptures? The deception to focus on the material rather than the spiritual. Does it not? Now listen to this. Here's another very important question. Does it not make sense for the enemy of believers to try and take our focus off of the invisible spiritual realm? Does it not make sense for Satan to try to get us to not focus on the spiritual? Could that serve his interests? Could that help him in his cause of trying to thwart the plans of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ? To answer that question, let's look at a couple verses, Ephesians 6.12 and 1 Peter 5.8. Ephesians 6.12, I've been referring to in almost every sermon for the last few weeks. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. One of the best quotes that you often hear 
as people saying uh, one of Satan's best victories has been to convince people that he doesn't exist. If you can give, convince people that Satan doesn't exist, he has free reign, much more free reign, to do whatever he wants in their life. But if Satan can convince us not to pay attention to the spiritual realm, then we are not paying attention to what we truly wrestle against, which is not flesh and blood, but the spiritual realm, which we're told about in Ephesians 6, 12. And that spiritual realm includes rulers. It includes authorities. It includes a cosmic powers that control this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are very much involved in the human uh, situation, in the physical realm that we live on. So if Satan can make us not think about that, obviously he's going to be much more effective in what he does because we're not even on the right playing field. We're not even focused in the right on the right thing and our perspective is not correct. So these are very important things to consider. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We are told to test everything and to hold fast to what is good. When we're commanded to test the spirits and to test everything in Scripture, it obviously refers to the importance of identifying false teachings. But it also seems that we must also test the spirits behind the events that take place in the world. So we test the spirits not to make sure that our doctrine is sound and biblical, and according to the word of God, we are also to test the spirits of everything that goes on around us. When a, an event happens in our society or in our country or in our city, whatever it is, whatever we're faced with, it's possible to test the spirit that made that happen or the spirit that's influencing the people that are leading a movement or a problem or whatever it is. Test the spirits. Could this be a spirit of God or something that's contrary to God? You see, very important to test the spirits correctly. And I will say that after witnessing what has transpired over the last year, it seems obvious that many professing Christians are unaware of just how much evil is in this world and how much the unseen spiritual realm surrounds and influences them. Folks, we if, I do not remember a time in my life when I have seen day in and day out how powerful the mainstream media is in controlling what people think, controlling what they do, and placing them in just an absolute locked down state of fear. I mean, it's crazy what has happened through this whole COVID hoax over the last year and a half. It's amazing. I mean, I went to the store the other day, and now here where we live in Idaho, uh, you really you constantly hear the commercials day in and day out, you know, about get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. It's safe. It's effective. It's been tested. They just lie about it all day long on, on through every source of media trying to get people to buy into it and to do it. But just about every store has taken down any sign stating that you have to wear a mask. Yesterday I was in a store and I saw, still saw some people walking around, not only with a mask, but with a plastic shield over their face. And I just think, man, those people are absolutely brainwashed by what they've been told for the last year and a half. They're living in absolute bondage to fear. So we see how effective this world is at controlling what people think, do, and to putting them into a complete, just locked up, locked down state of fear. And it's really a sad thing to see. And Christians who are awake and really see what's going on and see the bigger picture of how this could turn very, very bad if we don't pay attention, then um, we're looked at as the bad guys for, for, for paying attention and waking up and trying to wake people up to the truth of what's happening. And we'll get into more of that as we go forward. But the point I want to make here is to truly understand the spiritual battle that we are called to engage in, we must understand the spiritual realm. To understand the spiritual realm, we must understand it biblically. This is so important. I'll repeat that. To understand the spiritual realm, we must understand it biblically from the perspective of the biblical writers. This again is important. 
from the perspective of the biblical writers, free from the filters of denominationalism, traditions, and creeds that have shaped the thoughts and beliefs and beliefs of so much of Christianity. And this is something that we must strive to do as Christians. I run into people constantly who believe something according to their Christian faith because of the denomination that they are a member of and the creed that that denomination adheres to, even if it's questionable from a biblical perspective. And this applies to Reformed people just as much as everyone else. I've, I can't say I've moved out of the Reformed tradition, but I do not identify near as much with the Reformed tradition as I used to because I see people being trapped in a Reformed mindset and becoming closed-minded to anything contrary to that when, when confronted with it biblically, as I do with other denominations, whether they're right or wrong. So the point I'm trying to make is get away from the labels, get away from the denominational identifications and the creeds and the traditions that, that are identified with those, and just strive to figure out what is the Bible saying truthfully? What are the scriptures conveying to you? And one of the best ways to do that, and it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of reading, is to go try to strip away the years and to figure out what were the biblical what were the biblical writers thinking? What was their environment like? How, in the context of what we're talking about today, how were they viewing the invisible spiritual realm? And when you start to do that, I will tell you that it rocks your world because you start realizing how far the modern church is from what the biblical writers were trying to convey. And we'll start just uncovering all these errors that we've made personally. And I'm not saying you have to make this radical change right away. I'm just saying, start looking at the Bible that way. Start trying to figure out what they were thinking, what they were really trying to say, and what we are uh, presupposing that may be inaccurate and not according to Scripture. By infiltrating much of the church, the world has been successful at removing the supernatural perspective of the biblical writers and corrupting what they wrote through worldly rationalism and skepticism. Because the modern church, especially in America, is so worldly, we've either corrupted the spiritual aspect of our faith or ignored it completely. We have be, been desensitized and made mostly unaware of the unseen spiritual realm that surrounds us and its theological importance. And that's where this is extremely important. What you will see as we delve into this deeper and deeper in the coming weeks and months is this will strengthen your true theological understanding. How can we engage in a spiritual war if we are not aware of how the battle is carried out and who our enemies are in that battle? If we can strip away the years, we may get a glimpse into the way the biblical writers viewed the spiritual realm. I just noticed on the screen that Kim has a question, and what I'll do is that uh, uh, if you have questions at the end of the sermon, then I'll address those and, and, and we can go into those. A worldly, evolutionistic, materialistic viewpoint requires either rejection of the spiritual realm or a false fabrication of the spiritual realm. Listen to that again. A worldly, evolutionistic, materialistic viewpoint, basically anything that's totally contrary to the Christian faith, requires either rejection of the spiritual realm or a false fabrication of the spiritual realm. Some examples of that. Science above all. There's this very staunch view that everything can be answered by science. Science will provide every solution we need to every problem and it will answer every question. And anybody that's followed science over the years realizes that that will never happen simply because they do not want to consider the spiritual aspect. And what we see physically was created by what we don't see. You see? So because they are leaving that out, they will never solve all the world's problems. They will never come up with the solution to all the world's problems. And they will always flounder to a certain extent. To see the spiritual realm in a, through a fabrication 
is to a good example of that would be the new age movement. When I was trapped in the whole Alcoholics Anonymous 12 step cult, new age thought was very much a part of that. You could believe in whatever you wanted to. Uh, everybody just sort of had their own type of spirituality, whatever made you comfortable or made you happy, supposedly, that's what you believed. And new age was very much a part of that whole world that I was trapped in. And new age has infiltrated the modern church to a great extent in America. The charismatic or new apostolic reformation movements have taken, they claim to be spiritual and to engage in spirituality, but they don't do it from a biblical sense. They just want to experience the spiritual. They want to have an experience of the Holy Ghost. They want to call down power from heaven and use spiritual power in whatever way that they deem necessary. And that's a corruption of true biblical spirituality. And then what we see in so much of modern life now in America is just apathy towards the invisible spiritual realm, where most people don't care about it, have no interest in it, and sort of laugh it off as something that doesn't apply, has no effect on me, so I could care less. And I would say apathy and uh, sort of a corrupted spirituality is what's the prevailing uh, mood in Western culture, especially in America right now. Point I want to make very clearly, when I speak of the spiritual and the supernatural, I am not referring to the charismatic movement. I'm talking about it from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible speak of when it speaks of the invisible realm? That's what I'm talking about. Rather, I'm referring to the unseen spiritual realm that we learn about through Scripture. So please keep that in mind. Let's look at some verses here again. Ephesians 6, 12, once again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. What does this start hinting at? It starts showing us that there is a hierarchy of power in the heavenly realm. This is very important for us to understand because if we start to study and to understand that there is this hierarchy of power in the spiritual realm, both on the good side of God and on the, the bad side of evil, we'll start understanding better how that realm works and functions. Look at Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So we are shown that in this hierarchy, Christ reigns supreme over both sides. He is the ultimate. Colossians 2, 9 through 10, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of Godhead of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Again, a reiteration that Christ is the head of it all. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Notice he says the prince of the power of the air. So in this hierarchy, you have princes. In hierarchy, we know there's kings, there's princes, there's different levels of authority. And that's what we're going to see more clearly as we move forward in this. I want to give you some examples of how the heavenly realm and hierarchy and the counsel of God are portrayed in Scripture. And this is something that you almost will never hear about in the church. I, I've been in the church for years, and this is just something you hardly ever hear anyone talk about. And it's something that shocks people when they first hear it. So I want you to listen to this with an open mind and consider that this is coming from Scripture. And this is, again, something that we'll delve into more in the coming weeks and months. Let's look at Genesis 11, 1 through 9. <laughs> this is regarding the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. 
And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, uh, come, let us build ourselves for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we dis be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of, of all the earth. So we see the Lord has dispersed people. Why did he do that? Because the nature of people is evil. Since the fall of Adam, people will move in an evil direction unless the grace of God intervenes. <clears throat> God knew what would happen if people weren't dispersed. But why were they trying to build a tower? And this is, again, something we're going to get into. Think about all the towers from ancient times scattered throughout the world. I'm not just talking about the Great Pyramids. I'm talking in South America. I'm talking in Europe. I'm talking in North America. There are evidences of these ancient societies that we have very little understanding of building towers. Just ask yourself, why would that be? Why was and how does that tie in with the Tower of Babel? That these are questions we're going to answer going forward. So we see that God dispersed the people. He did not want them putting all their thoughts together because their thoughts were evil, and he had already stopped that through the flood. Now look at Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9. We're going to try to tie all this together. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, so we're looking back at Babel. He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Sons of God, you could, I believe in, in, in this portion of scripture would be Elohim, would be the, the phrase that refers to sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So now we see these sons of God, you could consider to be gods with a small g. They are created divine beings, created by God. They are heavenly beings, so they're Elohim. And when God dispersed the nations at Babel, he set these beings over the individual nations and gave them authority over them. But there was one nation that he set aside as his own portion. That is Israel. It says Jacob, his allotted Heritage. So you're starting to see this picture of that, that people that's set apart for God here. Now look at Psalm 82, 1 through 6, or 82 verses, verse 1, and then verses 6 through 8. Uh, in order to save time, I'm not going through the whole psalm, but you can go through it later and, and delve into it on your own. Verse 1 from Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph, God has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, now notice gods with a small g, Elohim, he holds judgment. And then in verse 6 through 8, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. So he created them. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So we see that the people are dispersed at Babel. God gives these uh, sons of God, these Elohim, gods with a small g, authority over these nations that he dispersed. He set one aside for himself, Israel. That would be the, the people who his plan of salvation would go through. But then he, we see in Psalm 82 at the end of it, Oh God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So he's automatically setting up his game plan that he will win all the nations, that they will all belong to him. So we see that there is this cosmic battle that is being set up way, way back in history in the Old Testament. Now, 
to carry this a little bit further, I want to give you another example to show how these beings, these angelic, and I believe the angels are, are sort of, they're the messengers, the ones that go out and do the work for these powers within God's counsel. And I'm hoping this makes sense. Like I said, we'll get into this in more in, in, in more minute detail as we move forward. But I want to give you just a picture of this working and again, breaking through the spiritual, breaking through to the physical plane. And we do that in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, and then verse 20. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. He's, this is an angel speaking to Daniel. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So he tried to come to Daniel because of Daniel's prayer. He was delayed 21 days because he was in battle with one of these divine beings that was in charge of Persia, probably still is. He says, but Michael, one of the chief princes, so now we see a prince from the good side, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. This is such a fascinating picture of what I'm talking about because we see the interaction between these angelic beings and how they interact with mankind. It's absolutely mind-blowing when you start considering these things and you start realizing what's going on in the spiritual realm around us. But what really makes it mind-blowing is to think about this is still happening in the spiritual realm. These beings are not asleep. They're not dead. This battle is still raging in the spiritual realm. But we don't experience it near like these people did during these times because of spiritual apathy, because of materialism, because of worldliness, because of corruption in the church. And I feel we, I don't, I'm not saying we need to strive for a spiritual experience. I'm saying that we need to strive for a greater understanding of the invisible, unseen spiritual realm, because it will help us so much in understanding of what's going on in the world around us. So another question. How do awareness and biblical understanding of the unseen spiritual realm affect the message of the gospel and the spiritual condition of believers? Because that's what this should all really come down to. This stuff's extremely interesting. I mean, and I can just tell you from my own experience, the more I study these things, the less interest I have in anything of this world. It is almost impossible for a movie to engage me anymore. It has to be so well made. And I'm not trying to be a snob, but so well made, so well, so well written, so in depth, because it's competing against the word of God. Because when you study these things constantly, the world just becomes more blah and less interesting and less, and you just don't want to engage in it anymore. That's a good thing. You see, dive into these things. So again, how do awareness and biblical understanding of the unseen spiritual realm affect the message of the gospel and the spiritual condition of believers? How might this help us in our walk with Christ? How might this help us share the gospel with unbelievers? Really think about these questions in the context of the invisible spiritual realm. And then consider this verse that I'm going to close with, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction our time here on this planet is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We're strengthened here if we're considering that amazing weight of glory that's beyond our comprehension in the eternal realm. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So to answer the first part of that last question, how does this affect the message of the gospel? I believe you'll be much more effective at winning a lost sinner to Christ if you can start 
moving their perspective from this plane, this horizontal worldly plane, to the vertical plane of the spiritual realm where Christ is and where we worship him. You can talk to them all day long about their sin and about the law. And these things are important. That's the message of the gospel. But if you start moving them into that spiritual thought process and considering these things, what happens to you when you move into that spiritual realm and you're no longer in the physical? Where will you be? The message of the gospel will be much more powerful. This is why I've always just laughed at people, you know, when I used to do street ministry more, how they would just walk up to a, you know, a heroin addict laying in the gutter and say, Jesus loves you. What does that even mean to that person? He has no idea what you're talking about. You see? But if you can take the time to start moving people's thoughts up into the spiritual, the unseen, they will start realizing, am I letting this temporary existence destroy that eternal existence that's in the spiritual realm. That's when you'll start seeing a more powerful effect from the gospel. And how does this, how does it affect our spiritual condition as believers? It will help change our focus. Like we're talked about, look up. That's what looking up is all about to, into the spiritual realm. So I pray we can do that. Patrick, Lamumba, my good friend, Pastor Patrick, who I work with in Kenya, is on and he's watching. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. I am sending you more teaching materials, if not today, tomorrow. My sister is just finishing up uh, some uh, sermon notes that she helps rewrite for me. So they're a little bit easier to read um, and, uh, and to understand. So she's putting those together today. We spoke about it this morning and I should be sending you more material. I try to send material each week, but sometimes that's a little tough uh, with my brutal schedule. Kim Jackson has a question. Hey, Chad, look at this and what is said about Genesis 4 about giants being human. Uh, all right, I'll try to look at that this week, Kim, and then get back to you on that next week. Uh, just from your question, I believe the giants are part human, um, but I'll, I'll be interested to see what that sermon uh, talks about, um, and then we can delve into that. Now, giants are something that I'm going to be preaching quite a bit about. Um, uh, we'll be getting into more uh, what are demonic beings, what are UFOs, just a lot of really cool, interesting, what I like to call fringe topics uh, in the coming weeks and months. So uh, if, folks, if you know anybody that's interested in this type of thing, please refer them to the ministry. I'd love to see our audience grow. It is growing steadily. Um, I will be leaving YouTube. I had my second strike last week. That sermon was taken down because I was calling out Fauci for his obvious, uh, the proof that he has been misleading people and they don't like what I say about the vaccines. Um, with what I've said today, that'll probably be my third strike. If I put this one on YouTube, it'll be gone. But there is a new platform that is in the process of uploading all my videos right now. That should be up this week. I'll send out the link. Um, and then I'll probably be using a backup platform as well. So hopefully within a week, we will no longer need YouTube. I just hope that those who have subscribed, we've only got a few hundred on YouTube, I believe, will... Um, follow us across to the new platform, but tell people that we're delving into these topics. Ask people, do you have questions about what giants are, what UFOs are? Do you wonder what the, the spiritual realm is all about? Because that's what I really feel like the Lord is leading me to uh, address in these online sermons each Sunday morning. So let's pray and we will close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that you uh, bless us with an interest in learning more about the spiritual realm and the truth of your gospel. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to understand more clearly and more completely what it is to know you. And Lord, that you would lift our hearts and our minds and our spirits from this temporary realm and that we would abide in you and worship you in spirit and truth in the spiritual realm. Please guide us, protect us, take care of us in the coming week. Please open opportunities for the gospel that we can share it with others. And please help us to edify and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thank you so much for watching. We will be back here next time, uh, next week, same time, same place. Oh, I wanted to, I need to get into 
Elephantwalk.net is who sponsors the ministry now, uh, caring in every in every step reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts to combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. This is a company that my brother and I started about a year ago. We import products right now from Kenya. We're also looking at bringing some items in from the Philippines and maybe some other countries. But this is done in an effort to help support the ministry to expand um, the territory that we can occupy in the cause of the gospel to help the work that we're doing in Kenya. I mentioned Pastor Patrick. We are striving to open a Bible school at his location in Nairobi, Kenya, a place where uh, anybody can go and just hear the unadulterated, uncompromised word of God, whether they are a pastor or just a normal Christian that just wants to grow in the Lord. We want to we want to provide a place that, that we know people can hear the truth without the corruptions that is so prevalent in the modern Christian church. And elephantwalk.net and the sales from it help us do that. So, so please consider visiting us at that website. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the ministry directly, please do so. Just go to the way, the letter R122.org. You can donate through our website. You can subscribe to the podcast. All the sermons are published on the podcast the following Friday, uh, sometimes on Wednesday, depends on how busy I am. And you can find the podcast at the ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio on the search field. There's also some other great Christian podcasts that you can listen to there. And again, visit us at The Way, the letter R122.org. All right. God bless you guys. See you next week. Take care.